Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Mike McDaniel. I'm from InsideTheACC.com, usually joined by my buddy Joey Weaver from SB Nations from the Rumble Seat, of course, covering Georgia Tech Athletics. But Joey's out perusing in Ireland with his new wife, uh, no doubt celebrating Georgia Tech's victory over Boston College. So with me this evening... None other than Cam Underwood of SB Nation State of the U. Cam, what's up, man? How are you? Yo, what's going on? It's uh, it's good to be here. I'm excited, and uh, you know, congratulations to uh, Joey and his wonderful new wife. I'm sure that he outkicked his coverage, just like you know we all hope to do. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the least we can hope for, right? <laughs> Is at least outkicking your coverage. And Joey, of course, having a great time in Ireland, uh, posting pictures all over Twitter. Um, and all over Facebook the last couple of days, so he's definitely having a good time over there. Um, so before we get started, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike McDaniel ACC. Follow Cam Underwood at Underwood Sports on Twitter, and then follow Joey, um, our man Joey over in Ireland, the European traveler at FTRS Joey on Twitter. And I guess you can follow us, of course, the podcast, at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter. Send us any of your questions, of course, to basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Maybe the single longest email of all time. Um, but anyway, Cam, it's time to get into the week one recap. A lot of crazy things happened across the ACC and, of course, all of college football uh, throughout the opening weekend. But I guess we can start with... One of the first games, at least in the ACC this weekend, and that was Lamar Jackson and Louisville taking on Charlotte. Lamar Jackson went off, Cam. Bro, he is he's so good. And, you know, I, I cover Miami. I live down here in South Florida. You know, I live uh, just a little bit south of Fort Lauderdale. And Lamar Jackson's from Boynton Beach. So, I actually, I saw one of his games this senior year, and that was, you know, coming into the 2015 recruiting class, so 2014 football season. And, you know, Miami was looking for a quarterback in that year because, you know, kid that we had, uh, Dwayne Lawson, who actually went to Virginia Tech, your school, uh, he dropped, he decommitted. So we're thinking about, okay, we're going to kick the tires on Lamar Jackson. And everybody's like, "Eh, I don't know. And I'm like, yo, this kid is really, really good. And, I mean, video game numbers don't even do justice to what he did. Uh, in the first half there. I mean, Charlotte, they're still trying to catch him. They're still trying to catch one of his receivers. That was just that was insane, bro. He just went off. That game was over in a hurry, Cam. So Lamar Jackson puts up eight total touchdowns in the first half, took a seat, enjoyed the ambiance of the rest of the stadium and all the home hometown fans uh, in the second half. 70-14 to 14 was the final. Lamar Jackson, first half numbers only, of course, 17 of 23, 286, and six touchdown passes. He had 11 carries for 119 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. He went off, Cam. And the one thing that's really interesting about Lamar Jackson, and I was kind of harping on this throughout all of last year, we knew he was a playmaker on the ground. We knew all the plays he could make when he got, you know, through the fir- you know through the front seven of a defense, got into the secondary with his feet. But the throws he was making against Charlotte, and you know, granted, it is Charlotte. He's supposed to do this against a lesser opponent, but mm-hmm. against Charlotte, he looks like he has his feet under him. 
He's throwing the ball a lot better in the pocket. Looked a lot more comfortable, and the offensive line definitely supported him in that game. It's just going to be interesting to see if they'll be able to do that moving forward as they get against tougher competition. Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing with him because as a, a, a dual-threat quarterback coming out as a freshman, obviously if something broke down, he was quick to run last year. And, like, yeah, he had 11 carries for, you know, almost 120 uh, in the opener. But, you know, they, uh, you know, just reading up a little bit about the ACC, like I try to do, you know, um, the, the Louisville reporters were all saying that in the spring and in fall practice, if anything broke down and then he went to go run, Bobby Petrino blew that whistle. And he said, no, because the run is always going to be there for him. He's going to always be super athletic. But he wanted Jackson to sit in that pocket and learn how to really, at this level, read a defense and make some throws. And, again, yeah, they should be doing that to Charlotte. Louisville should be blowing them all the way out like they did. But to have that level of success early it is very intriguing. And, yeah, I'm like you. I really want to see if he can sustain that and how that is translatable forward when they play some serious competition because no disrespect to Charlotte, that wasn't even a game. That was a scrimmage. Absolutely, and that's one of the games, of course, Louisville pays Charlotte to come play. Uh, so uh, good for Charlotte to go out there and at least try to compete with one of the better teams in the ACC. But for Louisville, you know, their defense will definitely get tougher tests moving forward. Uh, offensively, they look like they're in midseason form, which is, of course, once again, what you would hope for when you're playing against Charlotte. Uh, so Lamar Jackson looks great. That was one of the biggest takeaways of the weekend. Um, you know, when looking at quarterbacks in the ACC cam, and, you know, I know that, You'll, you'll go out there and agree with this. It was really, you know, Deshaun Watson and Brad Kaya, and then really everyone else, and we saw the potential, obviously, that Lamar Jackson had, but seeing him throw the way he did in this game definitely gives Louisville fans promise and, you know, definitely gives Lamar Jackson, um, you know, leverage in the conversation as one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC if he wasn't up there already. Yeah, I mean, he is he's supremely talented, and, you know, it, it does take time to really unlock that talent at the next level. But, yeah, I mean, when you're looking around, I think, you know, Mitch Trubisky from North Carolina is a very good quarterback. He's somebody who's going to be in that conversation with that second tier. But, you know, this year I think that it's going to be, you know, Watson, Kaya, and then really, you know, Jackson and then the rest of the pack. Uh, but still have Jackson uh, a step below those other two. But, you know, if you look into next year, you know, because Deshaun, I mean, both Watson and Kaya are probably going to go to the NFL. I mean, Lamar Jackson is going to be that guy in this conference. So, uh, yeah, you know, very, very talented kid and, you know, really excited to see what happens, you know, with him going forward. Definitely. Um, and with that, I guess we'll uh, move on to Boston College, Georgia Tech. Joey, I know you're listening to this podcast right now. Good for your Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. 17 to 14, a squeaker there in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Cam, initial takeaways from this game. For me, obviously, Boston College's defense, they lost a bunch of starters off of last year's unit, but it doesn't really look like they've missed a step. And it's either that or Georgia Tech's offense is once again uh, not living up to expectations. We're hoping to see, obviously, out of Georgia Tech an offense more like you know two seasons ago in 2014 when they were one of the better offenses in the entire conference. But you know, last year they struggled, obviously, turnovers, penalties, uh, spotty offensive line play, quarterback play out of Justin Thomas wasn't great, especially in the second half of the season when he was essentially running for his life. What we saw at Georgia Tech um, is that they struggled against a very good Boston College defense. Now, the Eagles defense, of course, might not be quite as good as they were last year, but they looked every bit the part um, as far as picking up from where they left off last season. Only gave up 238 yards to the Georgia Tech offense. And really, the Yellow Jackets are, are fortunate in this one um, to, to come out with a three-point victory in that long, long trip to Dublin, Ireland. 
Yeah, and you know, a three-point victory is basically a toss-up. You know, people were talking about that with Notre Dame and Texas that, you know, a th- it is a victory, of course, but it's not, you know, decisive like the Louisville game was or like, you know, some of these other games. So, uh, you know, the Boston College defense, they're just dudes. And I know, you know, shout out to Dan Rubin for that, you know. <laughs> they're dudes. <laughs> they, they are, you Guys know, being dudes. They're just guys out there being dudes. They're just some some ornery folk and they just they they don't like you on the other side of the ball and you're gonna feel them you know they they play very physically you know and they don't take any mess uh, I know they lost Don Brown to Michigan their defensive coordinator so I was really interested to see what was gonna happen you know because when you lose a coordinator of that caliber you know you think that there's gonna be some fall off but like you said you know only 238 yards or something in that in that ball uh, you know in that ballpark for Georgia Tech that's a really good performance so you know I was ex- uh, you know interested to see Boston College still have that elite level kind of defense so I think that's going to keep them in some games obviously they're still challenged uh, offensively which has kind of been a uh, a meme or you know for them uh, over the last few years so where are they going to get yards and points you know they're not really going to have it's a very uh, pedestrian offense you know you're not going to have many explosive plays so where are you going to find those things where are you going to find uh, those scoring plays uh, to to really impact games on offense so that's for them for Georgia Tech yeah it's I mean and it's kind of just like you said great defense on one side and then kind of questionable offense on the other side when you're running that triple option system that Paul Johnson runs it makes assignments very, very integral to being successful against Georgia Tech. Uh, and then, you know, you go up against Boston College, and that's a well-coached team and a, a tough defense. So they're going to do what they're going to do. But, you know, we've seen in previous years, like you talked about, um, in 2014 when uh, Georgia Tech, you know, was very, very good, uh, won 11 games that year. You know, the, even against great, very, very good defenses, they ate. They got yards. They got points. They made people look stupid. Uh, with that, and that's just not necessarily going on right now. So I don't know if it's um, just like a two-year set of Justin Thomas regressing to the mean because you know the quarterback in that system really plays point guard, you know, and it's sort of like it's a very controlling point guard. It's kind of like um, Rajon Rondo for my basketball fans out there. Like he's gonna he dominates the ball and he makes everything around him happen. And I'm not gonna say that Justin Thomas is trying to build up his own stats like Rajon Rondo and that he's a jerk in the locker room because from all in you know all reports he's a great guy. But you know, is it because, you know, he had his career year two years ago and now we're seeing who the real Justin Thomas is? You know, um I don't know. And for the defense on Georgia Tech, they're always gonna have athletes. And I know that, you know, sometimes uh like Vanderbilt or like a Wake Forest, um, they're going to talk about, well, you know, we have these high academic standards that we have to recruit to. Yo, they're located in the city of Atlanta, and that's a city that I've been to a couple of times. I went there on a a trip uh, last spring, and I drove right by uh, Georgia Tech, and it's like right in the heart of Atlanta. So even if you have to to recruit at a high academic level, you're still going to have a lot of guys from that area in Atlanta and around. So you're going to have athletes on defense, so they're going to stay in games. But I really want to see if their offense can't stay on schedule. That's really what's going to tell the story of this season because they they're built to win that time of possession. They're built to to win you or wear you down. And I don't know if they can do that consistently. Um, but, you know, they did it against a very good Boston College defense. So, you know, there's some positives. Yeah, and, and with Justin Thomas, I think, Cam, it, you know, definitely what you're alluding to, he's without a doubt the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, Justin Thomas is a guy who makes everything go for Georgia Tech, and, you know, everything you said is true. I mean, he as Georgia Tech goes, he goes. And, and he's, he's a guy that, you know, if his offensive line's playing well, 
he's going to perform well. And he's a guy that makes all the right reads. He has the keys to that Paul Johnson offense, and he has for the last three seasons. And he was a guy that had his career year, you know, two years ago in 2014. And since then, we've kind of seen Justin Thomas struggle, at least, you know, out of the gate last year. And then, of course, you know, throughout most of the back half of last season when, you know, throwing the football is a real challenge for that Georgia Tech offense because they weren't running the football well. And as soon as they opened it up to throw offensive line, couldn't block for him, couldn't protect. He was running for his life. He was throwing a lot of passes away, which I think negatively impacted his completion percentage when you look at, you know, what it was two years ago to what it was last season. But Justin Thomas finishes finishes the day 8 of 15, 119 yards. No touchdowns, no picks, but he was smart with the football, and I think that's one thing that Georgia Tech, you know, through the rushing game and through the passing game, wants to see out Justin Thomas. On the other side for Boston College, Patrick Tolles, I don't want to say they've completely found their quarterback, but they found a guy that is at least average. And for Boston College, that's really been an issue with the quarterback position. They haven't had anybody at least throwing the throwing the football, you know, in that aspect of the game, uh, you know, to really rely upon. I mean, they had Darius Wade at times last year, who was more of a runner than a thrower. They tried with Troy Flutie once Darius Wade got hurt. Troy Flutie couldn't complete a pass. Jeff Smith couldn't complete a pass. I mean, it, it was a nightmare for Boston College last year throwing the football. Patrick Tolles finish, finishes the game 11 of 17 for 137. No touchdowns, one interception. Uh, had a lost fumble, which, you know, really killed a drive. Uh, they, they were driving on Georgia Tech there, and, and he got sacked, lost the ball. Tolles needs to protect the football. He's had struggles with interceptions in the past. He only threw one, of course, against Georgia Tech, but he fumbled as well, like I just alluded to. If he takes care of the football and they give the ball to John Hilleman, and, and Hilleman looked every bit the part as he did in the first half of last season when he was healthiest, and you know, obviously they missed John Hillman the back half of last season, but Hillman goes 17 carries, 102 yards for BC and the touchdown. Patrick Tolles, of course, had his one touchdown run. The Boston College offense didn't look great, and it's not an offense that's going to, you know, blow the doors off of you. I mean, they'll be lucky most games to score more than 21 points, and that's no matter, you know, no matter who they play, uh, regardless of the talent of the other team. Their offense just isn't that good. But the one thing about Boston College, and especially now bringing Scott Le- uh, Scott Leffler from Virginia Tech, um, you know, as their new offensive coordinator, they're going to spread you out and throw the football a little bit more. And Scott Leffler didn't exactly light the world on fire at Virginia Tech, but it's going to be a different sort of offense for Boston College. And I think that's what we saw out of the gate. Patrick Tolles out of the shotgun, we saw that a little bit more. And the thing with BC is they they really have just been kind of a power running team with no passing game, and now what you're seeing is they have a quarterback in place now that can at least throw the football down the field. And Tolles has a pretty big arm, so if he takes care of the football, you know maybe Boston College wins a couple more of those close games, especially if those you know if their defense is able to keep them in it. And you know I know the Eagles have have an interesting schedule here moving forward, but you know bowl eligibility looked like a stretch because we thought the offense would be as bad as last year. You know, I guess how they look the rest of the season kind of remains to be seen, obviously. But I think when looking at the Eagles, they definitely have a quarterback in place now. They can at least throw the football every now and again and at least be a game manager. And if John Hilleman's running the football well, with that defense, that might be all they need to squeak out a couple of wins that a lot of people weren't expecting them to. Yeah, and, you know, for Tolls, if you're if you're looking at this offense, you know, I know that I, I kind of trashed on them a little bit earlier. But, you know, with all of the, the missteps, it's three-point ball game, you know. So you, you, if you have one drive or you finish a drive where you get a field goal, you know, th- that game could have went to overtime. And then when you get from the 25-yard line, you don't even know necessarily what can happen. So, uh, you know, if you, if you think about it, okay, there, there, that was a 17-point game that they gave up on defense. If you're talking about, yeah, they're not going to score more than 21, 
they're just going to try to have that be their mo like look as long as you kit you know the defense if you can hold to 17 or 14 we'll find a way you know because you have hillman tolls that can run and you know i know that he wasn't the best quarterback in the world obviously he would be at his previous school but he played in the sec and he had a couple good games and a couple big games and of course you know it was at kentucky and kentucky you know is not very very good so they lost a, a bunch of those games but you know he, he's been under the bright lights before so i'm sure that they're looking at okay you know uh, maybe 17 completions for 160 yards and a score if you can get that out of tolls with his running, with Hillman's running, with that tough defense, it makes sense that Boston College will try to play that way to win. Now, will everything go in their favor on the other side? And, you know, excuse me, you don't have any kind of turnover problems like they had or, you know, other just, you know, random luck or anything like that. Yeah, but, you know, it's – I can see where the vision is um, for – for Boston College on offense, it's interesting that you brought up your boy Scott Leffler being a, a Virginia Tech <laughs> yeah, person. My, yeah, a term of endearment. My boy Scott Leffler. Yeah, <laughs> and I never want to be. I don't want to go. I don't want to go twenty thousand feet near that. <laughs> and it's funny for me because, like, I honestly kind of hoped that he was going to stay at Virginia Tech because, like, <laughs> you know, you have or Virginia Tech has some talent, and I know that I'm supposed to be talking about Boston College, but we've seen him kind of do less with pretty good you know above average talent at virginia tech so it's going to be interesting when he doesn't have the same kind of talent available to him what is he going to do like schematically because then you have to if you don't have the athletes to just say hey go run faster be taller you know just more athletic than people that means you have to come up with a scheme to put them in places to be successful so you have some talent like we're talking about and how he's going to handle that that could really be the the story of the season for boston college whether they're a four-win team or they get up to six and they get into a bowl game yeah and that's that's a great point because We've seen with talent they have on offense at Virginia Tech definitely trumps the talent that Boston College has on offense, but Scott Leffler still couldn't make anything of it really at Virginia Tech and struggled quite a bit. And, and with Boston College offensively, they got, you know, they got John Hillman, that's their bell cow. I mean, and, and, you know, if he didn't get hurt last year, you know, he's a guy that was well on his way to a 1,000-yard season. And, you, you know, with how he was performing early on in the year. Um, I know his total rushing yards didn't amount to much because he got hurt so early in the season, but a couple of his early games definitely signaled the fact that he's a really talented guy, and he showed that once again last Saturday against Georgia Tech. So it'll yeah. be really interesting. It'll be really interesting to see if Boston College is able to, you know, continue on the track they're on if everybody's healthy and, you know, just, just try to score 20 points because I think if they do that, they'll be in most games, and more often than not, that'll be enough for their defense. I mean, I do think their defense is that good once again. Yeah, no, they're, they're really good, and I mean, it just kind of popped into my head, but, you know, just, I, I watch a lot of high school football, like, looking at recruiting stuff, and, you know, you're talking about Hillman being the bell cow, like, that's, it, it's going to be a high school offense, and I mean that in just the, the, the way that it's going to be, you're going to run a lot, you're going to run some play action, you know, and then Leffler's going to try to spread you out a little bit and throw the ball, but, you know, hey, run, 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 play action shot, it works in high school. You know, I, I watched a state championship game back in 2005, Palm Beach Garden against Deerfield Beach. Palm Beach Gardens ran the ball 57 times. They threw the ball one time on play action for a 78-yard touchdown. 
It and worked. It worked. And that's what high school offenses, and I know it's good, well, high school offense, and, you know, okay, well, Gus Malzahn and all these guys, you know, they worked in high school and they were cutting edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the root of it, you're probably going to have a couple big guys on the line. You're going to have a really good running back, and you might even play him at quarterback at the high school level so he has the ball in his hands every single down so he can make the best decision. And honestly, that's what Boston College is going to do. Their best two guys are quarterback and running back, under center, and then right behind him. So, yeah, you know, just try to pound it a little bit. And, I mean, you might not be able to lean on the other team so much, but integrating the run game heavily, integrating some play action, you know, in that kind of just basic sense of we're going to run the ball, make you come up and commit some other defenders, and then try to take advantage uh, in the passing game. And that's where Tolls, like we're talking about, he has to hit those throws when they're available. But, you know, yeah, you know, there's you there's an argument to be made for how Boston College can be successful trying to keep teams under 14, trying to take advantage of the shots that they have, control the clock, and get to 20 on offense and hope and hope and hope their defense holds up. Yeah, be be a mediocre game manager quarterback, Patrick Tolles, because even then you're going to be better off than, than what Boston College has had at quarterback. No offense to Jeff Smith, Troy Who? Flutie, Darius Who? Wade. Yeah, Who? yeah, exactly. Um, who are now all conveniently receivers, and they're receivers for a reason now on that offense. Um, so Boston College moving forward, you know, be dudes on defense, be dudes on offense, try to get to six wins, scratch and claw, and we'll see what happens. But, Cam, time to move on to the third game we're going to recap here from the past weekend, UNC and Georgia. Oh, yeah. And this was a fun game and, and one with – you know, looking at North Carolina, the big question coming in for them was, you know, their rushing defense has been such an issue. And, you know, we talked about North Carolina and their overall defense a couple of years ago was one of the worst in college football. And they obviously made strides last year because their passing defense made great steps forward, but their rushing defense was still kind of lagging behind. And, you know, would North Carolina be able to stop whoever was in the backfield for Georgia? And at the time we recorded the last podcast, we didn't know if Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle was going to play in this game. Turns out it was only Nick Chubb for, for Georgia, and that was more than enough. 32 carries, 222 yards, and two touchdowns for the Georgia stud running back. Yeah, really nice numbers coming off of a devastating knee injury that he had last October. Georgia beats UNC 33-24, and some really interesting play calling for North Carolina, an underwhelming opening performance for Mitch Trubisky, a quarterback. Additionally, Elijah Hood, why did you only have 10 carries? You were averaging 7.2 yards per carry. And Cam, I know you can, you're can. you going to be able to talk to this as well, but for the second year in a row, North Carolina gave a game away against an SEC opponent that they probably should have beaten because they didn't give the ball to perhaps one of the best running backs in not only the ACC, but in the entire country. Elijah Hood is perpetually underrated. Year in and year out now, he's been... He's been left behind because we have all these great running backs in college football. We have Leonard Fournette. We have Christian McCaffrey. And then even in this conference, you look at Dalvin Cook. You look at Wayne Gallman. Trayvon McMillan's emerging at Virginia Tech. Nobody ever talks about Elijah Hood. He only has 10 carries for 72 yards. Larry Fedora on offense. What are you doing? Bro, what are you doing? And I, 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 when you were going over that last bit, I know that this is an audio podcast, and I know you can see it on as we're you know doing this video chat to, to look uh, to coordinate things. But I've been, I've been over here dancing as Mike has been talking because I'm sitting here just raising my arms like, bro, like this is exactly what I've been thinking. Like you know, and it's it's deja vu all over again for North Carolina because there's absolutely no reason they should have lost to South Carolina last year in the opener. That was just embarrassing. Like they're. 
That was, I mean, come on. So what are you doing? So I'm, I thought, okay, Larry Fedora, he's going to learn from that. Obviously, you know, being a Miami person, did not enjoy that trip to Chapel Hill last year. They, they put a lot of points up on the board. Uh, you know, they played uh, Clemson very closely in the ACC championship game, gave a lot of carries to Hood and other guys. So I'm like, okay, yeah, they've learned their lesson. This is, you know, I don't even know his dimensions. 5'11", 230 pounds, give or take, uh, for Hood. He's a big boy. And that's SEC size running back. So if you're looking at a Nick Chubb, you have somebody that size, you know, or similar yep. on your team. So, you know, I thought you learned from not going to him last year when it counted against South Carolina because, and I, you know, in retrospect, obviously hindsight being 2020, it definitely counted because they only had one loss going into that ACC championship game. And that yep. was that game. So now that game takes you as North Carolina from in the, I mean, at the top of the conversation for the playoff to, you know, everybody's, you know, last year, like, Oh, why is nobody talking about North Carolina? Because we saw you lose to South Carolina in the opener. That was a team that would, that no, you should not have lost that game period. And you're going and putting up video game numbers against everybody else. So for Larry Fedora in this game, what are you thinking? Like, I get it. If you, it almost, well, it makes sense to me because, uh, Marquise Williams was a fifth-year senior last year. So you're going to put the ball in his hands and say, you know what, I'll even let you audible. I'll let you do everything because you're a dual-threat guy. You have a big arm. You can run, you know, 6'2", 235, give or take quarterback. Look, you can do it all, so I'll let you do it all. But What's this, his excuse this year? What's ex- his excuse? No, exactly. So what, are you, so what are you thinking? So what are you thinking? Because we saw that kept you. That game against South Carolina kept you from any kind of conversation all year long with an elite team because everybody knew if you lost to South Carolina, you could not possibly be, not possibly be an elite team. I don't care what you did to Miami. Yeah, and I know people are going to listen to this. Oh, my God, they beat them 59. Yeah, I don't care what you did against Miami last year because, you know, Miami was bad. But if you lost to South Carolina, you were not going to be an elite team. And then this year, if you're starting off with Georgia in Atlanta, which, you know, look, that's an away game for you. Sorry. Yep. You know, I know it's neutral field or whatever. It's 63 miles from Atlanta or 70 miles to College Station or uh, College Park. Excuse me. Um, so that's that's a that's a road game for you. And you have this guy. And okay, cool. You went with the jet sweep stuff and you hit Stephon Logan and he hit them for a lick, like he was nice. But then after that, cool. You got the the speed game going. You got Stephon Logan to the edge for a couple long touchdowns and everything. What should you be doing? Leaning on Elijah Hood and pounding them in the mouth, and then that'll set up Trubisky to have more space to throw, more play actions that'll work, and all those kind of things. But it's I don't it it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me because Fedora he seems like a guy who just falls in love with the idea of what he wants to do versus what will work. And yep. I think that that's what happened again this year. And, like, I, I, like you, am just flabbergasted at the lack of carries because it's like Ezekiel Elliott versus Michigan State last year when he why went on that Twitter the fo- Why aren't you giving him the football? Why? Why? I mean, he's not injured. He's not suspended. He's not academics or anything. Why are you not giving him the football, especially at a time when they had a lead in the game and then they go three and out, boom, Georgia comes right back and scores. They take back the lead, and then obviously they go on to win. What are you doing? Where's your game planning? Where's your game management, your time and score? Where are all these things that you preach to your kids? Who is talking to you? Who is policing the police in this start? You know, where which coach is on the sideline tugging on Fedora's you know, shoulder and being like, hey, 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 we got 34 in the backfield. Maybe we should go to him. I just, I, it, I don't know. I'm flabbergasted. I know I've been rambling about it, but I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. 
it was only 16 total touches for Elijah Hood in this game. Of course, the 10 carries for 72 yards, like I alluded to, and he had six catches out of the backfield for 28 yards. That's not enough, Cam. And, you know, when looking at North Carolina, he's your best player on the offense. I, I mean, I understand you have Logan. Mitch Trubisky, by all indications, has the potential to become a pretty good quarterback in that system. Ryan Switzer, an, an elite kick and punt returner. Oh, yeah. Um, and they got they got playmakers. They got Bug Howard. They got Matt Collins at receiver. When you have Elijah Hood, though, you need to give him the football. And Marquise Williams was a guy last year. He's a fifth-year senior. He put it in his hands. He had two opportunities in the red zone against South Carolina. He threw two crucial picks down there. And what's your excuse this year? You don't have a guy like Marquise Williams, a quarterback. You have Mitch Trubisky, who's supposed to be pretty good, but he's not Marquise Williams. He's not a fifth-year senior. He's not a guy that you've seen get it done in ACC play time and time again. We've seen Trubisky come off the bench. We haven't seen him start and play like this. Mm-hmm. It's a time that you need to give the ball to your best playmaker, get the ball in his hands, and that's what you do if you're North Carolina. And for the second year in a row, you know, let's be clear, Georgia is a better team than South Carolina. I mean, they're a much better team than South Carolina was a year ago when North Carolina played them. But let's also be clear with this point. This is a game that North Carolina had won. They had this or it was, game. you know, very close. They had the game in their hands. It was there for the taking, mm-hmm. and they get outscored in the final two quarters, 19 to 14, 10 to nothing in the final frame because of stupidity. Give the ball to your playmakers. Elijah Hood is the guy who should have been getting a bulk of the reps, and he didn't. And, you know, when looking to the other side real quick, Cam, before I turn it back over to you, Jacob Eason at quarterback, I, I know that, you, you know, he was a Mark Rick recruit. Rick was trying to get him to come to Miami. Jacob Eason, big-time, big-time player coming out of high school. He looked every bit the part going 8 of 12 for 131 and a touchdown. It was really interesting because Kirby Smart, for whatever reason, kept wanting to rotate in Grayson Lambert. For what reason, I will never understand. But Jacob Eason is your quarterback moving forward if you're a Georgia fan. That's apparent. Um, you know, almost 11 yards per completion. He's got Nick Chubb back there. Isaiah McKenzie, six catches for 122 yards, tore the North Carolina defense up, but by that point it didn't really matter because Nick Chubb had already done the damage. It opened up that passing game. You made a freshman quarterback look really good, and it's a step back for this North Carolina defense because anytime you give up all the yards they gave up against a freshman quarterback who took you know, predominantly most of the snaps in this football game, it's a situation with North Carolina and Gene Chizik where you know, it's back to the drawing board, and it's a defense that looked like they made strides last year, especially in the passing game. Passing defense didn't look great in this one, obviously, but a lot of that had to do with their Achilles heel, which is what it's always been, the rushing defense, at least over the last three or four seasons. So Georgia tore them up, not a good performance by a North Carolina defense, and that's the real one. One of the big overarching takeaways I take from this entire weekend across the ACC is North Carolina's defense still doesn't look like it can get the job done. And sometimes that North Carolina offense isn't enough to get it done when a team can score with you. Yeah, and, you know, the the thing with North Carolina, obviously, is their defense. And at the end of the year, the last two games, the conference championship game and the bowl game, they, they, they had those steps back. So all year long, even in the South Carolina loss to begin last year, that was, what, 17-13? Something like that. So, okay, they looked yep. pretty good. They did, you know, pretty well. And then those last two games, I mean, obviously it was a shootout versus Clemson in the ACC championship game until the end, and Clemson kind of pulled away a little bit. And then the bowl game, that was just kind of bad. So, you know, you have more of that 
Um, so, yeah, they need to figure out what they're going to do, and they're going to need to figure out that run defense. And as a fan of a team that had the one of the worst run defenses in history, literally, look it up, I know bad run defense, and that was bad run defense. Um, and I know that, you know, Nick Chubb is elite. So, you know, we're going to maybe cut them a little bit of slack on that. But, you know, they still need to do better. Uh, for Elijah Hood, you know, I know there were 16 total catches but or touches, but the six catches, those don't even count for me because he's not a, uh, a third down back. He's not a scat back. So I'm going to stick with those, those 10, really, as the, the plays that he had that he could really impact the game. And like you said, that's just not enough. Um, and, yeah, I know that they're going to they're gonna autocorrect kind of uh, <clears throat> coming up in these next couple of weeks in North Carolina. They're going to give him the ball a little bit more. You're going to see 20 carries for, you know, 180, 200 yards against some of these uh, cupcakes they got uh, coming up. Um, for them moving to the other side Jacob Eason yeah uh you know in case you guys didn't know Mark Richt got fired from Georgia and is now at Miami so uh <laughs> you know just putting that out there uh but yeah just a, he, just a nice reminder yeah, yeah, yeah just, just you know so there's the connection and you know just like Mike said Jacob Eason was his hand-picked recruit at quarterback you know so he came from you know Washington State like Lake Stevens Washington like you know Seattle Washington like not DC like the other side of the country to come on over uh, you know a, to- a consensus top five uh, recruit in America not top five percent top five individuals um, and you saw exactly why in that game and you know I don't think that there's really any question that he should be the starting quarterback and you're just going to take your lumps with him but I don't necessarily, I mean, he has the physical tools to be very successful. Eason does. I mean, he's a big, strong kid. He's 6'4", 6'5". He has a rocket for an arm. He saw these throws in this game, you know, uh, against North Carolina. And that, you know, the run defense is the was the worst part for uh, North Carolina. So he's making some tough throws. and He can make every single throw that you need. So, yeah, Grayson Lambert, you know, I guess he got the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award for the starting quarterback uh, at Georgia to open the season. But, I mean, if Kirby Smart is serious about his job and all, you know, reports are that he is, you got to roll with number 10. And uh, that's that freshman kid. So you're going to have to hold his hand. You're going to have to have those coaches on the offensive side of the ball really, you know, help him out. Um, James Coley, who was the offensive coordinator here at Miami, he is now on that staff at um at Georgia, I'm not sure exactly what position. He might even be quarterback's coach. And that was Brad Kai as quarterback coach for the first two years of his career. So, I mean, he's done some work. He's not the best quarterback coach in America. I do think that Rick is better than Coley. However, if you're looking for progression, James Coley coached Brad Kai for two years and got him, you know, he, he, he did pretty well for himself. You know, um, so uh, working with Jacob Eason is a different battle a little bit because uh, another true freshman – uh, quarterback, but a little bit more, uh, a stronger arm, and so he'll uh, probably want to take things vertical a little bit more than Brad did or does. Uh, his, his greatest attribute is his accuracy more than his arm strength. But yeah, you really got to roll with Jacob Heason, and I think that that it it's a symbiotic relationship always between run game and pass game. And if you have a, a Nick Chubb and he's going to be there and he's going to run the ball, he's going to you know be really good. They got a stable of backs behind him. Sony Michelle was a five star recruit from South Florida, you know, uh, down here. That's another guy who can come in and then not take, you know, a step back at all from Nick Chubb. Then you got Joystick McKenzie, who had, you know, over 120 yards receiving. He'll also run end rounds and things like that. You know, you can get him on a slip screen, which is, you know, basically an extended kind of handoff. So you have things where you can have that run game or that quick pass game really supporting Eason, and, you know, they kind of go hand in hand. I think that's really what uh, Georgia's going to have to do. I'll be interested to see what happens with them going into the heart of their SEC schedule. Um, but, yeah, I think after this game, there can be no question that Jacob Eason is your starting quarterback for the University of Georgia. 
yep, take your lumps with Jacob Eason, see where chips fall at the end of the day. And, you know, I think regardless, we see that he's a quarterback of the future. So I think if you're Georgia and you're in position, even though you have Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, you're in win-now mode because you have those two guys in the backfield. You're going to be in every game you play if you can run the football effectively, like you said. So, you know, take your lumps with Eason. He looks like he can take care of the football. Didn't make a ton of mistakes in that game against North Carolina, and that was a very nice showing for him in his uh, in his debut as a FBS player there at Georgia in the SEC. Moving on, Cam, Clemson and Auburn. This was a fun one on Saturday night, um, a game in which we didn't see the best of Heisman Trophy candidate Deshaun Watson, definitely not his best game. But when it mattered, he came through, made a couple of big-time throws. The one, of course, that comes to mind was his touchdown pass to Hunter Renfro uh, in the second half. He's rolling to the left, throws across his body, off his back foot. Hunter Renfro makes a sick catch in the back of the end zone, extended Clemson's lead to two scores there. Of course, Auburn made it interesting late, as they always seem to do. Um, it looked like the same old Auburn offense from last year, which, of course, is troubling, uh, considering the fact that they run that crazy, gimmicky offense that works really well when you have a quarterback that's a fit for it, which they still don't, by the way. Sean White is still the quarterback, and he's still a disaster back there, um, a quarterback for Auburn. But the one takeaway I think I have from this game, and you know, I know this is an ACC podcast, but I came away really impressed with Auburn's defense, and this is a Clemson offense that, by all indications, have you know has more playmakers. You know, with the emergence of Mike Williams back from his neck injury from last year, a team that of course is returning Artavis Scott. They have Wayne Gallman in the backfield, the best quarterback in the country, in my opinion, Deshaun Watson. A really talented Clemson offense, and Auburn was able to hold them, albeit it was in the opener to 19 points, and for an Auburn team that has struggled on both sides of the football over the last couple of seasons, really encouraging for them, um, and definitely a building block for Gus Malzahn and his staff moving forward as they move on in SEC play, but as for Clemson, um, you know, this is a surviving advance type game, you know, a game that you can't drop early in the season, it's an SEC opponent, got obviously a lot of scrutiny because it was played on the road in Auburn, not an easy game to go down there. they got a rabid fan base and, you know, a very, very good home field advantage there. And it was pretty impressive for Clemson to go out there and, and not play their best game on offense and still find a way to win. You know, and moving forward, I think you, you can take this as building block. It's like, you know, hey, it's the opener, but our defense played pretty well. And offensively, still a little bit of a work in progress. But if you're Deshaun Watson and this offense, you know, get your win, get out of dodge, move on. You got Troy this week, which will be another nice building block, and it'll give you some time to get your feet back under you. But for the Tigers, you know, all's well that ends well. They get the W here in the opener and, you know, full speed ahead. Yeah, and uh, it's funny that you said Tigers because, you know, that's both teams, by the way. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, Clemson, the Clemson ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, you know, and it's, it, it, you know, it's the rare – season opening like you know marquee game that's a true road game not a neutral site you know not orlando atlanta jerry world or anything they went on campus you know to auburn alabama and and played that game and you know again yes survive in advance and you know it's i know it's a little different than north carolina with who we were just talking about but you didn't see dabble going away from deshaun watson you, you know, you didn't see him say, well, we're going to, you know, rotate a little bit or we're just going to, you know, hand the ball off only to Wayne Gallman and we're not going to use this 
outstanding weapon that we have, the best player on our offense. And that kind of thing obviously served them well. You know, so they they did well uh, to win that game. Happy to see Mike Williams back on the field making plays and everything. Had that scary injury to his neck uh, in the opener last year that had him miss. You know, I think that was like midway through the second quarter of the season. He missed the rest of the year. You know, so seeing him come back is great. Adds another offensive weapon, and they have so, so many weapons there. You know, Ray-Ray McLeod and Artavis Scott and Mike Williams and Wayne Gallman and Hunter Renfro, who's a walk-on. He's just, you know, toasting Alabama and scoring basically game-winning touchdowns at Alabama or at Auburn now. You know, so, I mean, even – and there's more where that came from, Tigers, oh, Clemson Tigers fans, but I'm, I just don't know all of them like that. But there's so many weapons that they have. So, you know, I think that – that's good for them. I'm really interested to see how their defense continues to progress, uh, especially when they face a more challenging offense than Auburn's because Auburn, you know, they just it, – it's just tough to – they don't have a quarterback. And, they don't have a quarterback, yep. You know, and I, the old adage, you know, if you play two quarterbacks, you have none. And they're playing three. And honestly, and I've been saying this because, again, I live in South Florida and I saw this kid coming up uh, his junior and his senior year. Uh, your boy John Franklin the third from Last Chance U, if you've seen it, um, and I just I, I'm wondering what they were talking about in Last Chance U because he's like, oh yeah, you know they call me Showtime because every time I come on the field it's a show. I saw him play five games in high school and it was never a show like that. It was never Highlight Central. You know he's not a quarterback. You know, and I said that when he went to Florida State, and Florida State fans, you know, came at me because I believed then, and I believe now, that the only reason that he got an offer from Florida State, John Franklin, is that they were trying to get Alex Collins, the All-American running back who went to Arkansas, uh, who was his good friend and high school teammate. And people said, no, no, you know, he's this good kid. He, you know, he can he can do this and that on the football field. And I said, yo, I've seen him with my own two eyes many a time. I've talked to a bunch of coaches and a bunch of different people who follow and write about recruiting, and I don't see that, and nobody else has seen that. And then you go in, you know, and then he he can't not cannot win the job at East Mississippi Community College last year. Comes in and he's third string this year. And it was funny because Jalen Ramsey, uh, who was on the team with Franklin at Florida State, he kind of threw a shot at him on Twitter. And he was like, yo, so you left Florida State after talking all that noise, couldn't win. And then you're, you come back to FBS ball and you're still third string. Maybe it's not our program or any program that's the problem here. Hmm. You know, so but he's getting snaps at Auburn. You know, Jeremy Johnson, like, you know, everybody who said that he was going to be the next Cam Newton. Um, you know, I, I, I think that you should uh, maybe invest in a new Magic 8 ball because other than the size comparison, there is no comparison there. And then Sean White, another kid from South Florida that I happen to have seen in high school uh, and have followed for years. He has a very good skill set for a different offense. You know, and I think that that's why they're going to have to rotate quarterbacks there. But you're not going to find anybody who's really going to be in a rhythm because, okay, you got White, who's an accurate passer with an average arm. You got Johnson, who's huge, and they should be using him like uh, Texas did Gerard Hurd. And basically, you know, doing the 18 wheeler, we're going to line up, we're going to run power, and we're going to put that big behind quarterback right behind a pulling guard, and we're going to run you over. And then. I don't really even see why John Franklin's getting snaps at quarterback because he's not a quarterback. And I know that people are going to be mad and, you know, say that, oh, you're just being so negative. Mm, well, I mean, I have eyes in my head and a brain that works saying that's just what, you know, those things tell me. But, you know, they, they don't have a quarterback. And yet and still, because they even despite the fact that they don't have a quarterback, they were in this game. And and not only that, we almost had the rebirth of Clemsoning. 
because if you were watching the end of that, and I know Mike is sitting there, he's like, oh boy, he said that word. Yeah. Because it got interesting. It, it got interesting late, Cam. Look, it got really interesting because Dabo Swinney, they're up six, and they won by six, right? They won, what, it was 1913, right? Yeah, thanks for nothing, Clemson. I had you at seven and a half to cover. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, thanks yeah, for nothing. I know that, that, one, that one hurts. So, you know, Mike is sitting there thinking, okay, you're up six. It's two minutes left or under, under two minutes left, and you're at the 20-something you know, yard line. You're going to kick this field goal, go up nine, and then everybody wins. Because even if uh, Auburn puts a drive together and gets a two-point conversion, there's still a point behind, and then they got to get an onside kick and things like that. And Dabo Swinney said, no, we're going to go for it on fourth down. Balls out of my it. pocket here. Yeah, take yeah. my balls out of my pocket, and let's see where the chips fall. Are you kidding me? What? In a, in a true road game at Auburn, and then you go and play prevent defense, and I know that Auburn didn't have any timeouts, or no, they had one timeout, they called it during that drive, but then you let Sean White sit in the shotgun and hit rhythm throws on 15-yard square ends down prevent to Prevent defense. Prevent da- defense, no pressure on White. I mean, what are, you, what are you doing? So then, you know, I knew that the last two plays they threw into the end zone. I'm sitting here and saying, look, throw another 15-yard square in from the 40. You get down to the 25, and now you can leave wide in there, and you can run a full playbook. And, I mean, obviously you're not going to clock the ball because it was like, you know, 12 seconds left or 18 seconds left. Run a square in, get a first down, clock stops, everybody on the ball, let's go. Now, instead of having a 40-yard throw, you have a 25-yard throw, and yet and still, even in the face of all of that, that last Hail Mary got tipped and was just up there in the air, and everybody was watching that football, and man, if Auburn would have caught that ball and Clemson would have lost that game, you would have never heard the end of me shouting about the return of Clemsoning because Dabo tried to snatch defeat from the hands of victory. And uh, that's just a, a decision that makes no deci- you know no sense to me, but I know it makes even less to you because you know you picked them with seven and a half and they won. It six. was it's it's the uh, twenty it was the twenty thirteen nearly the twenty thirteen version of the Clemson Tigers. Um, yeah, w- without a doubt, uh, agree with everything you said, John Franklin. His only pass attempt, you know, to kind of continue to rub salt in the wound. One for one, negative three yards. Wait, is that bad? Not good. John Franklin, welcome to the SEC. <laughs> Don't anticipate him getting many more snaps with Auburn uh, moving forward. Nope. I don't know what Auburn's going to do on offense, Cam. I mean, uh, they don't have a quarterback. Um, running back, I mean, on Johnson looked okay. 23 carries, 94 yards. You can ride him as long as you can. But I think as far as throwing the football, Sean White's your best option. But he doesn't fit the offense at all. Doesn't fit the scheme. Jeremy Johnson, he doesn't have any kind of throwing arm at all run him like you do with her at texas i agree with you there he's he's an absolute fit for that sort of package it looked like they were thinking about doing that a couple different times when he came into the game they brought in a couple different tight ends they didn't end up running what i thought they were going to run jeremy johnson sat back there in the pocket got sacked a few times you know how it is in college football cam they count those sacks against your rushing total six carries negative 18 yards for jeremy johnson wait so that's not that's bad too it's not good, Cam. Um, not good. So Auburn as a team finished 41 carries for 87 yards and a touchdown. Just over two yards a carry. Obviously not going to get the job done against a Clemson defense that, despite all the losses they had on that side of the ball, looked pretty good. So it'll be interesting to see Clemson's defense moving forward, you know, if they can continue to improve as they play, you know, better competition. You know, we're going to see them go up against, obviously, a Florida State offense. It's going to be very good. 
Louisville's offense, which just put up 70, oh. albeit against Charlotte. But they're going to see a quarterback that could potentially give them issues in Lamar Jackson, who can beat you running and throwing, just like their own quarterback beats the rest of the teams in the ACC, Deshaun Watson. Really interested to see how Clemson reacts moving forward, especially because they're now dealing with another team in the Atlantic Division, Cam. Florida State, who got a huge win on Monday night against Ole Miss. The Seminoles, yeah, I know, Cam, it's going to hit close to home here because the in-state rival, uh, it's time to talk about them. Look, Cam, Florida State, all indications were heading into the season, they were going to be one of the more talented teams, not only in the ACC, but in the entire country. There was no, no real question marks surrounding the defensive side of the football. We knew, if healthy, that they were one of the more talented units in the conference. Offensively, we know all the weapons they have at receiver. Then, of course, at running back with Dalvin Cook and what he does to opponents. Uh, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts at times with Cook until he finally breaks one open. With Florida State's offense, it was all about the quarterback position. We knew what we had with Sean McGuire here for Florida State. We did not know what we had with DeAndre Francois in game action. Um, we knew everything that Jimbo was telling us, you know, drawing some comparisons perhaps to Jameis Winston. I didn't buy it in the first half, Cam. I know you didn't either, especially with how Florida State came out of the gate, but a really impressive victory. What a comeback by Florida State. Quarterback DeAndre Francois, the way he was able to react in the pocket, especially in the second half of the game. Kudos to Jimbo Fisher and the staff. They were able to roll him out a little bit more in the second half, get him a little bit more comfortable. He made some plays on his feet, which I think definitely helped um, at least you know get settled in because he looked really uncomfortable in the pocket in the first half. Dalvin Cook, they did not go away from Dalvin Cook, the best running back in the ACC, in my opinion. They didn't go away from him, Cam, and that's something that, of course, we criticized with Larry Fedora. You know, you went away from the run when it was working with Elijah Hood. Florida State had every had every right to go away from the run with the way it was working in the first half. Dalvin Cook couldn't get anything going, but ultimately they kept giving the ball to him. He finished with 23 carries for 91 yards. He caught seven passes out of the backfield for 101 yards. They got the ball in the hands of their playmakers. DeAndre Francois, they weren't afraid to throw with him, especially in the second half. He finished the game 33-52 of 52 for 419 and two touchdowns. Didn't make any real costly mistakes in this football game. Florida State's off and running, and they look like a team that's going to be a force to be reckoned with moving forward. And you know, for Ole Miss, it was an Ole Miss team that had all of the controversy in the offseason with all the distractions surrounding Laramie Tunsil and whether or not they recruited vi- or um, whether or not they had violations within their football program. And they're still being investigated for that as we speak. But Ole Miss came out firing in the first half. They went flat late. Chad Kelly, of course, three interceptions really cost the team in the second half, obviously, and, and Florida State's off and running, and it looks like it could be a very successful season for the Seminoles if they show what they did in the opener and they're able to get the offense going a little bit earlier in ball games. Yeah, you know, it's Ole Miss came out fired up, and on defense they came out fired up. On offense, Chad Kelly was – their tempo was something that Florida State could not match, and not only the tempo, but he was pitch perfect – for a while. I mean, every decision, uh, you know, if he checked a play, uh, every throw, every run, every everything was just absolutely perfect. And then, you know, after they were up, what was it, 28-6, to six, um, after that second field goal, and they're getting the ball back, I, I tweeted it at the time. I was like, I have a bad feeling about this. Like, I just don't think that they are going to keep it up. You know, and it yeah. was, it's kind of, they were, 
they were riding on the rails. You know, they were they were kind of you know walking the tightrope with no net because they were they were going for big plays. They were going for everything. They were not being conservative at all, and that was what really gave Florida State problems. And then you know that's when you had the tip ball uh, through the hands of Evan Ingram for that first interception, and then you know Florida State went off from there. But yeah, uh, Ole Miss, you know they, I think that they were a worthy challenger, but they just couldn't have any mistakes. And then after that hot 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 start where they could do no wrong it was it wasn't even like a game to game regression to the mean it was literally like one drive to the second play of the next drive and then you think okay well you you know everything's been perfect and then you get this and then everything else and then it kind of went the other direction so you know i think that that you know that happened to them but taking it over to the florida state side and giving them credit that they they played a strong game they did not let the early deficit discourage them um and they're a team that I've been saying, and clearly, you know, like I said, you know, I write about Miami. I went to Miami. I have a proud Miami Hurricane uh, alum. You know, this is a team, Florida State, that I've been saying for years, you had to beat them twice. You have to beat the team, and then you have to beat the mentality that they can come back. And, yep. you know, even and you saw that calm in the first half where we're down three scores. All right, let's go to work. You know, you really, like Oregon did a couple of years ago when they hit every Every turnover that Jameis had, then Marcus Mariota is coming out, and then they're they're taking shots and they're scoring sevens every single time. That was a game that you saw exactly what I'm talking about, where you beat the team and then you beat the brain, the thought that they could come back. And Ole Miss did not do that, and that's a testament to Florida State. Um, I said all through the off season that if Florida State wanted a shot at being great, they would play DeAndre Francois, and it, it it's a it's a de facto shot at Sean McGuire. Sean McGuire is a fine college quarterback. I'm sure that you could win nine or ten games with Sean McGuire. But you're not going to be a national championship team if that's going to be your quarterback. And I think that you saw even that first touchdown that Francois threw when they put Travis Rudolph in the slot. And then he ran a little shake route and crossed the face of the, I don't know his name, number 12 for Old Miss. And he got free to the middle of the field. And they're, you know, they kind of were playing cover two. So if you got inside of that, that nickel guy, then there's nothing but green space. So air and opportunity, you know. And Francois stood in there and he said, I know that Rudolph's going to come open. I know he's going to come open, and I know I'm going to get hit hard because this defensive lineman is bearing down on me. But I'm going to sit in here, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to make this throw come hell or high water, no matter what the repercussion is. And he got blasted on that play. If you remember, he stayed down for a little bit after that play. He got blasted. But he hit that, and he said, okay, cool, I'm good. You know, and then everything started rolling. And I think a play like that, a play like that is not a play that Sean McGuire makes. I don't think. You know, I think that if a Florida State team with Sean McGuire at quarterback got down 28 to 6, then they're going to lose and they're going to lose by three scores. It's It's over. over. It's a wrap. You know, so I think that, and I I mean, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be Francois every single game. He might, could prove me wrong. That's potentially possible. But I definitely saw from why, because even absent of seeing game action, again, you know, I, I love recruiting and I talk about it a lot, but going back and looking at him as a recruit when he, you know, was in high school at Orlando and then he moved over to IMG and everything, looking at his skill set, looking at the highlights, looking at the things that he could do, I'm more excited about that and the potential for greatness in him as opposed to McGuire. Uh, and I think that, you know, Florida State saw that. I'm interested to see, obviously, what he does. Uh, we have a date against them on October the 8th down here in the new Hard Rock Stadium, so I'm going to get to see it up close and personal uh, when they come down. But, you know, I think that when they're clicking, and obviously that's going to take, you know, 
Travis Rudolph making plays, which he did. That's going to take Dalvin Cook being the best running back or one of the top two running backs in America, which he is. Uh, then you had Jacquez Patrick come out behind him, and he's 6'2", 240, and he's just going to run people over in addition to having legit 4'4 speed. You know, um, they don't have much else. You know, they got Bobo Wilson, uh, and then they got uh, Kermit Whitfield, so those are kind of two shorter, quicker receivers. Uh, you know, they're still waiting for a big receiver to really step up and complement Travis Rudolph, so you know, a lot of that's going to fall on Dalvin. A lot of that's going to come on DeAndre Francois, you know, finding a way to make a play, finding a way to hit some throws. Um, but, you know, Florida State, they do have the ability, obviously, to score, to stay in games, and they can be explosive uh, at times, but, you know, they have the components to be really good uh their offensive line is normally good in the first half you saw the acc returning uh offensive lineman of the year rod johnson their left tackle just get absolutely abused uh in the first half by old miss and then you know some of that finally went away and they finally got some continuity in that run game but you know i think that this is uh if, if you are someone who likes acc football and i'm sure that you are if you're listening to this podcast it gives you the confidence to say that florida state is still in that conversation or at least if not over Clemson now depending on your allegiance you know I know some people might say oh yeah you know whatever but that's going to be a really good team on that side of the, of the conference and obviously they did very well in a neutral site game to beat a very very good SEC team um but yeah I think you know Florida State they did some really good things and I'm not going to say that I'm excited to see them do well because I'm not but it is very interesting from a football standpoint to follow that or will be to follow them and see what they're able to do and how Francois is able to continue uh, his progression throughout the course of this year if this offense is anything like we saw in the second half against Ole Miss watch out and I think that's the one clear takeaway um this is going to be a fun offense to watch no matter what your allegiance Cam I know you were heading down that path um DeAndre Francois, DeAndre Francois is is the real deal. Um, he proved that in the second half. By default or not, Jimbo found his quarterback. I know Sean McGuire had to get hurt for Jimbo to officially decide that Francois was going to be the guy. It might have been trending that direction anyway. At least that's what it was looking like. But he goes to Francois, ends up paying off. Florida State, look, they're kind of thin at receiver for as much top end talent as they do have. Um, you know, from a playmaker perspective, but. When looking at Florida State, if they're able to avoid injuries on that offense, if the offensive line plays like they did throughout, I'd say about the second part of the third quarter, maybe like the eight or nine minute mark of the third throughout the rest of the game, when they really start clicking on offense, if that offensive line gets to where they're able to easily protect DeAndre Francois, they're able to open up that run game for Dalvin Cook like we've seen them do in the past, this is going to be a really dangerous Florida State offense, but... Anyway, Cam, time to move on. Maybe some other impressions, overall takeaways from week one. I know a couple things stood out to me. Um, Virginia just absolutely collapsing against an FCS team in Richmond. Cam, I understand Richmond's a pretty good football program, okay? Mm -hmm. They're really good, but at the same time, they're an FCS school. If you're going to lose to an FCS school, you're not supposed to lose to an FCS school like that. You're not supposed to lose an FCS school like that, and if at all possible, you're not supposed to lose to an FCS school from your own state. You know, like, it, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it it was just bad, you know, Um, and I know that, you know, Mike London was able to keep his job for the longest time on the strength of beating Al Golden's Miami Hurricanes teams. And, yeah, but, you know, you get Bronco Mendenhall in there, and, you know, it's an interesting fit because, you know, he's, you know, he came over, 
came over, excuse me, from BYU. And I think that the furthest east that he had coached previously was like Texas, you know, so or somewhere in the state of Texas. So he comes like way out to Charlottesville. And, you know, those are, are some very rabid fans and, you know, the, the high minded intellectuals that they like to be over there um, and things like that. You think, OK, cool. Yeah, we have some talent and, you know. Uh, Taquan Mizell, you know, a running back who had 75 catches last year, you know, uh, things like that. So you're looking, okay, yeah, we're going to get started and we're going to see this new program and this new paradigm uh, really take hold against a, a lower division team. And you lose by like three scores at home. Like that's, uh, yeah, that, that, that's not good. Not good, Bob. So uh, they're going to have to bounce back and they're going to have to bounce back fast. Um, Virginia is to, and even if they don't have, uh, a marquee game this week. I haven't actually even looked at what their schedule is this week. They have, you know it. Oh, oh, oh no, oh no. Sorry, they travel out to Eugene to go to Oregon. Oh, that's going to be real ugly. Oh, Not good. Goodness. Not good, Bob. <laughs> Not, Not good. good, Bob. So you you lose by seventeen to Richmond at home, and then you hop a flight to go out to. Oh no, no, oh boy. Yeah, they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble right away, and. You know, if you're just looking at the ACC Coastal, I mean, unless something weird happens and weird like, you know, the rebirth of Al Golden, I don't see them beating Miami looking like that. I don't see them beating Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh's just going to lean on James Conner and his return. I don't see them beating Duke even, uh, Georgia Tech, even though I know, you know, Georgia Tech, we had that, uh, you know, earlier discussion about how they had that close game against Boston College and they're really tough defense. I don't see them beating them, so that's four losses in the conference right there. So the best that I think maybe they can do is four and four in the conference. But then, you know, not even having looked ahead to see who they play, they cross over from the Atlantic side. Look, they're going to be in trouble. So that's a, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't want to overreact to one game, but uh, my antenna is perked to see where Virginia goes because like I said this week they travel out to Oregon and that's going to be a bloodbath and then you're 0-2 and you've lost two games and I'm you know I'm predicting here but you've lost two games by double digits off the bat you know where do you go from here I don't really know but yeah that was that was not good Bob Virginia is a rebuilding program. We kind of knew that coming in, but I think a lot of us, or most of us anyway, expected them to beat Richmond. And, you know, I thought that – I picked Virginia to win this game. I thought that Richmond would cover the spread. I, I believe it was Virginia at minus 13.5. I thought Richmond would cover. Um, it hurts when you think they lost by 17. And, Cam, it was 30-7 to 7, Richmond with 12 minutes to go. <laughs> Virginia Virginia comes out with quarterback Kurt Benkert replacing Matt Johns. And Kurt Benkert, of course, a transfer from East Carolina. Benkert goes 26 of 34 for 264 yards, three touchdowns, and one pick. Those stats sound good until you realize that most of those yards and those touchdowns came in garbage time when you're getting stomped against an FCS school that I guess shouldn't even really share the field with you. I, in a perfect world, uh, it should be a game that you should go out there and 99 times out of 100 win. Um, not only did they not win, not only did they not lose a close game, they got stomped. It was 37-20 to the final. You know, Benkert looked okay, but my overarching takeaway from this game, 21 carries for 38 yards for the Virginia rushing attack, 7 carries for 7 yards for Smoke Mizell, they're starting running back. What are you doing? Um, not good. 
Virginia's got a long way to go. Bronco Mendenhall obviously has work cut out for him. Um, you, you know, when he arrived in Charlottesville, it was a great hire for Virginia. It was somebody that I feel like they needed in there, a guy that could, you know, that was pretty good at recruiting at BYU, a school that's obviously pretty tough to recruit to because of the Mormonism and, and, you know, because it's just a really difficult school to recruit all your athletes to. And BYU was able to do that. They were able to get big offensive linemen, run the ball right down your throat. And Virginia's not able to do that right now with the athletes they have in place on the offensive line. And I think that's really apparent, especially when looking at the rushing numbers. Didn't go in Virginia's favor in this game. Richmond had their way. Uh, Kyle Loletta, their starting quarterback, 24 of 35, 337, three touchdowns against Virginia's defense. Just an ugly, ugly performance to open up the Bronco Mendenhall era for Virginia. Other takeaways for me from week one, obviously your Miami squad looked real good, Cam, as you would hope against Florida A&M. Um, yeah, and is... I think that's what Virginia had hoped for. You know, that kind of that. No, seriously. And I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, poke fun at them, but like, that's what you hope for when you play at FCS school, you know, and I, Miami hadn't even had that kind of performance in years um, against an FCS school. Uh, the 70 points that we put up were the most that a Mark Rick team has ever scored ever. And he's been, you know, coaching for plenty of years, like I'm sure that, you know. So, yeah, you know, looked a lot better uh, and just had a different energy to the game, you know, Um that 4-3 defense is what we should be running, not that two-gapping 3-4 read-and-react crap that Mark D'Onofrio wanted to do um, because we don't have those athletes, and we're not going to get those athletes because those are not the homegrown South Florida athletes. We got fast guys, and we always – I mean, even if you look back, you know, when we played Nebraska in the 80s and 90s, you know, we had smaller, faster guys relatively, and that's what Miami should be doing, and I think we finally got back to that. It was, you know – it wasn't the greatest statistical performance from Brad Kaya because we had short field, you know, time after time. So only, you know, what was it, 12 for 16 for 143 and four scores, something like that. So, <laughs> and four and four scores. I mean, yeah, so one out of every three passes went for a touchdown because, you know, yeah, that's what we're going to do. You know, so, I mean, that was pretty good. You know, the rushing game, you know, 373 yards, averaging over 10.5 yards per carry, the number one rushing offense in America as we're sitting here and recording this on a Wednesday night. You know, that's awesome. First time since 1987 Miami has had three running backs eclipse the 100-yard mark. All three of them had their career-long touchdown runs. Uh, Mark Walton of 37, Joe Yearbeard of 64, and Gus Edwards of 74 yards respectively in that game. You know, had a block punt. Patrick Bethel, whose dad played on two national championship teams here at Miami, he was not even supposed to be on punt block, but he replaced somebody else on that first punt of the year, goes in and blocks it. His first collegiate snap as a true freshman early enrollee, the end, boom, I block a punt. Like, can you, I mean, other than catching it off the punter's foot and running it in himself, you can't really write a, a script that's going to be better than that. So, you know, Obviously, there's some things that, you know, we could work on uh, as the Hurricanes. You know, you want to be a little bit more efficient. You want to see Brad Kaya not miss any throws. He did miss a couple of them. He underthrew uh, true freshman receiver Amon Richards on a go route uh, that was initially called a catch but overruled on uh, – reversal um challenge excuse me mine went blank there uh david njoku a physical freak at tight end he had kind of broken he kind of did an out and up on a scramble drill when brad was rolling to his right and brad sailed hit the throw into the third row but he was you know butt naked and doing backflips down the sideline david njoku was so he should have hit that one uh no matter you know what you think of him whether you think that he's such a high draft 
uh, potential uh, player or not, that's a throw that, you know, uh, we've seen Brad Kaya make and, you know, we should have seen him make there. So, you know, there, there's a lot of good there, but, you know, we obviously have a little bit more of a tougher out this year or this week, I should say. But uh, early returns for the first game are positive. And, you know, yeah, we didn't have the same fate uh, as Virginia befall us. So uh, positive. Yeah, so a good a good week one for Miami. Um, you you hit the nail on the head. I won't be able to recap it um, as well as you just did <laughs> as somebody who covers the Hurricanes uh, day in and day out. So a, a good opening week for the Mark Richt era at Miami. Yes, um, I'll talk a little bit about Virginia Tech. They were able to beat Liberty. It was not easy. They were actually trailing in the second quarter of this one. Virginia Tech's offense with Justin Fuente – for the first part of this game, looked much like a Virginia Tech offense of old with Scott Leffler running the show as the offensive coordinator, which, you know, as a Virginia Tech fan, I was happy to see him move on, um, you know, and, and move on to greener pastures, if you even want to call it that at Boston College. But it was a very interesting start there for Virginia Tech. But, you know, when looking at the Hokies, their defense obviously looked really good. You want them to look good against a Liberty team that shouldn't even belong on the same field as you. Took a little little bit of time for the Virginia Tech offense to get on track. I was very impressed with Gerard Evans, who was the junior college transfer quarterback, 20 of 32 for 221 and four touchdowns. Looked in control. Um, looked in control of the offense, the passing game, made good decisions, um, was thinking on his feet. He made a couple of issues that I – you know, took into account in the run game on the spread option. He ran, you know, sprinted out to the right side, made a couple of late pitch decisions and fumbled a couple of balls away. You can't do that against some of the better teams that they're going to face on their schedule. So that's something they'll definitely have to clean up moving forward. Trayvon McMillan, 13 carries for 39 yards. Obviously, as you're starting running back or your co-starter with Sam Rogers, you need better numbers out of, out of him. Sam Rogers had seven carries for 23 yards. Virginia Tech quietly ran for 206 yards in this football game, but it took them 48 carries. So four yards a carry, you'll take it, but it, it was not as easy as you want it to be uh, against a team like Liberty. The one takeaway here offensively for the Hokies, Isaiah Ford, arguably one of the best receivers in the ACC, if not the best receiver in the ACC. 11 catches for 117 yards and a touchdown. He got off to a very strong start. Virginia Tech, they didn't target Bucky Hodges early, uh, the tight end slash hybrid wide receiver that gives so many teams fits because he's kind of a matchup nightmare at 6'5 and really fast and great hands. Finished with three catches for 42 yards and two scores. So, you know, I think Justin Fuente was trying to establish a run game early in this, uh, the running game here early in this one. It was a game that Virginia Tech ultimately in the second half, they got stronger as the game went along, especially on offense. They scored 17 quick points in the second quarter. Nine in the third, capped it off with three points in the fourth quarter. They were still trying to just kind of establish a run game as as the game wore on. But the passing attack looked pretty good. And, you know, they're rolling into a matchup here with Tennessee at the Battle of Bristol this weekend with their passing offense looking pretty good. But I think the rushing offense needs to be a bit more efficient. Um, and we'll see where they're at uh, moving forward. But, yeah, Hokies look good in this one. And, you know, Cam, if I don't know if you have anything else to add. I don't know if you caught any of that game. But, uh, moving on to our newest segment, our Go ACC moment of the week. It's something that Joey and I kind of installed and, you know, kind of commemorating the worst of the weekend across the conference. <laughs> and 
there can only be one winner this week, Cam, and, and I have a feeling there are going to be a handful of teams that are going to represent this Go ACC moment of the week as the season goes on, and it's Boston College. Congratulations on your Go ACC moment of the week, your last possession against Georgia Tech. What in the <laughs> hell were they doing, Cam? What were they doing? Boston I mean, Co- other than actively doing? trying to lose? Oh, my God. It was brutal. It was brutal. So I tune in to most of this Georgia Tech-Boston College game. I'm flipping back and forth between that and, of course, college game day as that began at 9 o'clock, and we were getting late in the second half of Boston College-Georgia Tech, which, of course, had the potential for some late-game hilarity as far as from, you know, from a drama perspective. And Boston College comes out, and their play on their final possession was nothing short of hilarious. They start out with a couple of brutal penalties. They had a false start. They had a holding call. They had a snap over the quarterback's head. Pretty much everything you don't want to see happen on the final drive when you're trying to go down and win the football game happened to Boston College. Couldn't have scripted it any better from Boston College offense. It was completely typical. I'm sorry for BC fans listening to this podcast. We were all expecting to see something like this happen. (laughs) Nothing short of fantastic. Um, So, Boston College, congratulations. The Go ACC moment of the week goes to you. Can I can I give a, a shout out for the runner up? I think um, the runner up. I'm gonna just give the entire Wake Forest football team for their barn burning seven to three win. Oh man, that's a good against one. Tulane. That's a good I mean, one, Cam. <laughs> I mean, I I know that for sheer horribleness and hilarity for a single possession, like you know what Boston College did. Like okay, you know they're in the game for. I mean they were in the game all the way until the end and then they just did literally back to back to back to back everything they possibly could do to lose it like you you detailed so yeah that was that was bad but i mean whoa wake forest seven to three seven uh, to ugly i mean yeah just i'm really ugly so you know I, I don't know if you're gonna do runners up or anything but this might be the only time that i get the the pleasure to guest host so that's what i would lob up there is your your runner up for go acc moment of the week wake forest in there prolific offense definitely a very close second with two quarterbacks that have played quite a bit of college football over the last few years we're looking at junior quarterback john walford sophomore kendall hinton neither of them could do anything for wake forest and kendall hinton his one yard touchdown run ended up being the only score of the game for wake forest and ending up ended up being the difference between a win and a loss against Tulane, who looked completely dreadful in their own right so cam i'm with you that's right up there as well but without further ado cam we're gonna move into week two um an hour and 15 minutes into this podcast we're rolling right along um i I think for time's sake cam and just because of the teams that are kind of or the games that are kind of on the slate um we're just going to hit a few of these and i guess we'll we'll start quickly louisville a 14 and a half favorite point favorite going up against syracuse in the carrier dome uh on friday night it's another opportunity cam like we spoke about earlier Louisville's offense, Lamar Jackson, is he going to look as good as he did against Charlotte? Is he going to have the success that he had throwing the football against a Syracuse defense that should be better than Charlotte's defense? Maybe not a lot better, but they will be better. And a Syracuse offense that doesn't have all the pieces in place that Dino Babers necessarily wants yet, but they're a team that, with the offense they have, could potentially hang with you in a shootout if the Louisville defense doesn't show up to play. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I think that Louisville's going to be successful. I think that they're going to win the game. I think they're going to cover the 14.5 point spread. But, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens with Dino Babers when well, Miami fired Al Gold, and he was one of the people that I profiled as a potential candidate to come down here uh, as our head coach. And, you know, he runs that Baylor kind of offense, that spread, that hurry-up kind of vertical passing game. And you saw that if you watched any of the action on any of the random, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights over the last couple of years when he was at Bowling Green. And, you know, last week uh, in the opener, they won the game and they ran 71 or 73 plays. And the thing that stuck out to me is Dino Baber said, we're not fast enough. We need to go faster. Yo, if you're running 70 something plays and you're talking about not fast enough, then, you know, I, I get what he's going at because he wants to have that same kind of offense. So I think that Syracuse is going to put up some kind of points. I think they're going to have, you know, pretty good resistance for at least a while. But I think Louisville is going to be successful. And I think Lamar Jackson is going to have another showcase kind of night. But I don't necessarily think it's going to be eight touchdowns and 537 total yards of offense from him personally in the first half. Definitely. I agree with you. Uh, I like Louisville in this one to cover 14 and a half. Um, I just really like the Cardinals' offense. I think their defense will prove to be as good as advertised. We're all expecting Louisville's defense to be pretty good this year. If it matches the production on offense, Louisville's going to have a heck of a team and a team that could potentially compete with Florida State or Clemson and get, you know, in a tight game, it could could be interesting in the Atlantic Division. Uh, moving on, Cam, Virginia Tech going up against number 17 Tennessee, who looked less than stellar against App State last weekend. Tennessee actually opened up as a nine-point favorite, and despite barely beating App State in double overtime, they've actually moved to an 11.5-point favorite against the Hokies. Cam, who do you like in this one and why? And just some some of your thoughts on this matchup, which is going to be Saturday night at 8 Eastern on ABC, the biggest game ever on a college stage attendance-wise, uh, garnering a lot of hype between two relatively mediocre teams. Yeah, um, it, you know, it's going to be played at Bristol Motor Speedway over in Tennessee. So, uh, yeah, you're going to have, you know, 160, 200,000 people, you know, give or take, uh, you know, out there at that game. I think Tennessee is the more athletic team. I think that they're the better team, and that's who I have winning. But I'm not really impressed with Tennessee, and I know that there's been some strife between Miami and Tennessee fans because, you know, they did uh, end up flipping a couple of our recruits on National Signing Day last year. And, you know, our interim coach, Larry Scott, so if, you know, the the gentleman who was the head coach when we beat Duke last year is now their tight ends coach, which he was here previously before getting that interim job. So, you know, I know people were like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, Miami and Tennessee kind of thing. But I think that they're going to win. I just don't think that they're – their ceiling is that high moving forward you know so Virginia Tech I think they're going to continue like you're saying to work on some things try to get that efficiency in the running game try to you know maybe uh, control the clock a little bit let Gerard Evans their uh, dual threat quarterback who came over from Juco he's really the prototypical kind of guy who to run Justin Fuente's offense oh P.S. by the way and I love that you make the point to say Fuente every single time because that's how he said his name is pronounced I, I see you. Uh, but you know I think that <laughs> I think that it might be it might be closer than the 10 or 11 and a half, um, just because, like you, I'm not really enthralled with Tennessee. Uh, they do have some weapons, though. You know, Dobbs, uh, I don't think that he's great, but he can get the job done. You know, Alvin Kamara, who was at uh, Alabama for a while, is their speed back. Jalen Hurd as their big back with speed, who's just, I mean, he's a Mack truck, uh, you know, running. So I think that Tennessee is probably going to win, but uh, Virginia Tech will cover the, the point spread. I'm with you, and, and as you know, I'm a Virginia Tech Hokies graduate. I like the direction the program's heading, um, so on and so forth. I think the offense is in much better hands now moving forward. To your point about Justin Fuente, yeah, he's made it known that he wants his name pronounced like that, so I'll make sure I do that every single time. 
Uh, Virginia Tech's offense, uh, they need to get a good running game going. The one thing we saw at App State is they were able to run against Tennessee. Virginia Tech, they carved out 200 yards rushing last weekend, but it was an ugly 200 yards. It's something they really had to struggle with against the Liberty team. If Virginia Tech struggles with with the running game in this one, they're going to run into some issues because Tennessee's passing defense is much better than Liberty's. Tennessee's passing defense looked pretty good against App State in the opener despite all the other issues that they had. I think a little bit too much is made of of the opening weekend. I mean, a lot of teams are trying to figure things out, but I'm with you. I think Tennessee's a bit overrated. A lot of um, a lot of commentators, a lot of, uh, of analysts that cover college football, they really want to see Tennessee back on the national stage and competing in the SEC. I don't think they're there yet. I don't think Josh Dobbs is nearly good enough as a passer to get the job done, especially when they play against better SEC defenses, even though he's playing in the weaker of the two divisions in the Southeastern Conference. Tennessee at 11.5, that is a huge line after what I saw out of their offense. I don't want to overreact to one weekend. Tennessee's got more players on both sides of the football than Virginia Tech does, but I think 11.5 is a lot to cover because I do think Virginia Tech will come ready to play. I could see this game going either way. I'm going to go with Tennessee because I believe they have more playmakers on both sides of the football, but I would not be surprised if Virginia Tech were able to pull an upset in this one. Um, Moving on... I want to talk quickly about Boston College UMass, Cam, because <laughs> UMass had a game against Florida this past weekend in which they hung around for a while. And if they do that against BC, BC could get beat. And 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 they're and they're a team with Boston College. We've seen them struggle on offense before. If they struggle on offense against UMass and UMass is able to maybe carve out a special teams touchdown, maybe get a cheap score off of a turnover. BC could find themselves in trouble. They're 17-point favorites in this one, but how do you see this one heading uh, for the Eagles, Cam? Yeah, I think that Boston College is going to win this game, but that 17, like we're talking about in the previous game, that's just a big number. And we detailed previously about their their kind of hapless offense. So I don't know where they're going to get all these points that they're talking about. Um, But then again, UMass is not necessarily great, but they hung in with Florida into the fourth quarter. you know, so shout out to the Florida fans who probably found their way to listening to this and, you know, want to denigrate other people, but, you know, struggled with UMass in their opener. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Boston College should win this game. This is another one of those kind of local-ish FCS kind of things. But, you know, we saw one of those last week with Richmond, and uh, it didn't necessarily go the way that Virginia wanted it to go. And I'm, you know... Yes, I made the kind of tacit comparison, but, I mean, no, UMass is not the level of team that Richmond is. Um, so I think that Boston College is going to find a way, but I'm, there's no way I'm touching that 17-point spread. No way. Yep, I'm with you. Don't trust the Boston College offense enough to even score 17 points, let alone cover a 17-point spread. Um, moving on now, uh, but I'll, I'll also take, sorry for the record, I'll take Boston College in this one, but I don't think they'll cover 17. I think that's way too much, even even though they're playing a team like UMass. NC State East Carolina cam uh, quickly a pick here NC State offensively looked pretty good in the opener they're playing an East Carolina team that sneakily hangs around with big time teams of course Virginia Tech upset Ohio State two years ago and then I was in attendance the following week in the home game in which Virginia Tech lost to the Shane Carden and Ruffin McNeil led East Carolina Pirates I like NC State in this one they're five point favorites Kind of shuffling around a bit at quarterback, but I really like the rushing attack, Cam, and I think NC State is a sneaky team here in the future in the Atlantic Division, a team that's definitely on the rise. What do you think? 
I think the same thing. I think that their running uh, running game is going to be the thing that carries them. Matt Days is a senior running back who, again, is from South Florida, went to Cypress Bay High School. So I saw him in high school and have seen him develop into a pretty solid back. And, uh, you know, I think East Carolina is going to stick around for a while because that's been their MO. They do have a new coach and a new quarterback, so it's not going to be exactly Ruffin McNeil and Shane Carden with that kind of magic. But I think that they're going to try to recreate that for a little bit. But in the end, I think that North Carolina State is going to take it. Yep, I'm with you. Um, moving on, Penn State going on the road to Pittsburgh. The first time the two schools have played in quite some time. Pittsburgh opens up as a five-point favorite. I'm really high on the Panthers this year in the Coastal Division cam. I have North Carolina winning the Coastal, but I think Pitt's a team that could definitely hang around, and that late September game uh, between Pitt and North Carolina could actually end up deciding the Coastal if Miami were to struggle maybe defensively or maybe blocking for Brad Kaya. I like Pittsburgh as a player in the Coastal Division, and I think this is a big game out of conference to kind of make a statement and saying they're back, especially on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, Pittsburgh all day. Um, I think that their defense is going to be uh, very strong. I, you know, James Conner is back from uh, his battle with cancer, which he, he beat last year, which is you know one of the best stories, if not the best story in college football, and wish him you know the best health and success as long as you know health always, but success if he's not playing Miami. But I think he's going to find uh, both health and success today or this weekend uh, against Penn State. So yeah, give me Pittsburgh straight up. Florida State against Charleston Southern, Clemson against Troy, Georgia Tech against Mercer. I think it's safe to say that we'll take Florida State, Clemson, and Georgia Tech in those three contests. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, looking at the sheet, the only one that even has a line is Clemson at 35.5 point favorites against Troy. Don't the cover. Other two, oh, oh they'll, they'll cover, you know. But, I mean, it's funny because the other two don't even have lines. But, yeah, give me the home favorites in all three of those. Definitely. Um, Wake Forest on the road against Duke, a sneaky little in-conference game to start the ACC season there for both squads. Wake Forest inept on offense. Duke a five-point favorite. Can Wake Forest even score five points? I don't think so. I'll take Duke all day, even though I'm not really high on Duke this year. Um, I just think they've lost a lot of talent on both sides of the football. Obviously, they're starting a freshman quarterback. I like Mm -hmm. Duke. I mean, Duke looked pretty good over uh, last weekend in their opener. Wake Forest, they don't look good any time they play. I'll take Duke to cover five points. Yeah, and I know that this is, you know, the basketball conference podcast, so whether it's in basketball or it's in football, I'm just going to take Duke. Um, I think that they're going to be the better team uh, for between the two this season, and I'm not really high on Duke, and I have not been in a couple of years. I know last year before the Duke-Miami game, I was saying that Miami should win because Duke is decidedly average, and people came at me because, you know, their win-loss record was much better than Miami's, but I'm like, you know, it depends on who you play, obviously, first of all, but it, even if your record is or makes you who, who who it says you are basically i i mean watching those games they weren't really anything special and i don't think that they're anything special now so i think that duke is going to win this game but you know uh, i think going into the future that they're going to be kind of decidedly averaged yet again i'm with you and this is a duke offense in the last few years has been one of the top offenses in the acc and nobody really thinks about them in that manner just because they're not extremely flashy in anything that they do but extremely well coached with david cutcliffe that's for sure Florida Atlantic against number 25, Miami. Miami's a 24-point favorite. Cam, I'm going to tease the odds and wagers section that we'll get to here shortly, but this this line this line of 24 points to go with the over-under of 60 in this game doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm taking Miami all day long, especially after I saw them put a 70 spot on Florida A&M. Give me the Hurricanes. I want to see more out of that offensive line. It's going to be a little bit tougher, relatively speaking, um, versus the Florida A&M game. Florida Atlantic is a little more um, a little more adequate on both sides of the football, not a ton, 
But I, I think that this is going to be a game in which Miami's offensive line can maybe take another step in the right direction. Yeah, I think so too. And it's uh, I'm just going to say this again for the fans, the number 25 Miami Hurricanes. Uh, and I can say that because that's the first time that Miami has been ra- ranked since this, or sorry, November 16th of 2013. Three years. So, Three years. years. Yeah, you know, so it, it's been a little bit. So, you know, having a number in front of the name is a good, you know, is a step in the right direction. Obviously, it's not exactly where we want to be uh, for a program with five national championships. That has to be our goal and aspiration. However, this is a positive step. Uh, FAU is going to be a tougher out, and everybody knows that. Uh, and I think that, you know, we celebrated, Miami celebrated that big win, but then went back to the business of, of being great and, you know, working to improve. Uh, Trey Hendrickson, I think his name is, is a defensive tackle for FAU. And that's a guy who could find his way into being a late-round draft pick and finding his way onto somebody's NFL roster. He's a he's a very, very good player. So uh, contending with him on the defensive line as we're trying to run and protect Brad Kaya is going to be more challenging than, you know, going up against Florida A&M, who is and also ran at the FCS level. Uh, so obviously, you know, not a good team. They were 1-10 last year. Uh, F- sorry, FAMU was. So uh, FAU going to be a little bit tougher. They have Jason Driscoll, which is Jeff Driscoll's younger brother. So just on the fact that his last name is Driscoll, I hope that we hit him and hit him hard. But, yeah, I'm going to take Miami and, uh, and to cover the spread, please, and thank you. Miami should roll in this one. Uh, moving on, North Carolina, 8.5-point favorite opening up, going up against Illinois, an interesting ACC Big Ten matchup Saturday night, 7.30 on the Big Ten Network. I like North Carolina to get back on track in this one, Cam, 8.5-point favorite. Mitch Trubisky, a quarterback, has to have a better game. He has to throw the ball down the field a lot better than he did in the opener against Georgia, they got to give the ball to Elijah Hood, which I believe they will. I think that will be the difference in this football game. I like North Carolina to roll. Yeah, I do too. And I think, you know, like we spoke about it way, you know, back a couple hours ago now. But, uh, you know, I think that they're going to auto-correct uh, or course-correct, I should say, uh, from last week, North Carolina, that is. So Trubisky is going to hit some throws that he might have missed. Uh, I think Stephon Logan is still going to find his way to some big plays. And I think that they're going to give the ball to Elijah Hood a lot. I think he's going to have, you know, between 150 and 200 with two or three scores. So, yeah, I think North Carolina is just in a clearly different class of football team than uh, Illinois. So North Carolina – Plus the or with the points, please. Virginia on the road to Eugene, number twenty-four, <laughs> Oregon. Oregon, a twenty-four and a half point favorite. This is a game I could see getting out of hand in the first eight or nine minutes, given what we saw out of Virginia on the opener. Cam, I'm not even really gonna address this game. I like Oregon to roll. Yeah, Oregon. There, it's it's going to be like the old days when they're you know naming their score and you know they they put in all the guys and they run you know maybe a couple trick ish plays and things like that. But it's not going to be close. And then there's going to be a lot of angry people with Charlottesville, Virginia, because they're going to be zero two with two big losses, one at home to Richmond and one on the road to Oregon. So yeah, Oregon's going to roll, and it's uh, yeah, it, it's going to be ugly. So with that, we're going to move on to our odds and wagers section. And Joey, if you're still listening to us, which I know that you are an hour and a half into this great podcast that we started about two months ago, it's time for your pick. And Joey, I'm going to let you gloat a little bit, even from another continent. You picked the over last week. And of course, this odds and wagers section, before I go any further, Joey and I, week to week with a guest host, um, when we have one aboard, and of course here you are, Cam. Your first guest, you're our first guest host. So congratulations oh, yeah. on that, of course. Hey, um, thanks. 
Yeah, so we're going to make one pick per week, and it's going to be either the point spread or the over-under on a game. To recap last week in the opening weekend, Joey picked the UNC-Georgia game to go over 56, and that bastard won 57 points scored in that one. He covers by one point. Pretty remarkable, Joey. Congratulations on your first win in our odds and wagers betting. I'm going to have to wait until this week because I picked Clemson at minus 7.5 to cover, and of course they allowed that late score and then almost lost the game outright with that Hail Mary at the very end, but it ended up being a six-point spread, so I am 0-1 on the odds and wagers. But for this week, Joey's bet is for the Duke-Wake game to be under 44.5 points scored. Joey, I love the pick. I'm extremely jealous you picked it because now I'm going to, for the show's sake, uh, pick something different. But before I do, Cam, let's get to your ACC pick of the week. There we go. Um, Sorry, I was messing with my microphone. My pick of the week is going to be the Miami Hurricanes covering the spread. uh, Sorry, over 60 points total with Florida Atlantic. Um, And the thing for me, and we were talking before we started recording, the spread to me doesn't even make sense because it's minus 24 for Miami. So 24-point favorites with an over-under of 60. And it just... It, it, I know it just hurts my brain because I'm like, there's really no combination of number. Like the over under is very low for relative to the the spread. So yeah, I think that uh, you know last year the game was 44 to 20 in favor of Miami. Um, so you're really looking. I mean, the only way that you can really have the over under is you're basically saying that Miami is not going to cover the spread. But I think that they are, uh, and I think that it's going to, you know, maybe take into the second half. But I'm going to take the over Florida Atlantic and Miami over 60. Cam, I like that pick. I like Joey's pick. And for me, I kind of shuffled with this a little bit, Cam. I think I told you something different from what I'm actually going to pick. Uh-oh. Clemson at minus 35 and a half. I loathe cam i loathe picking lines like this anytime there's a line that huge i always shy against it clemson's offense is going to bounce back this week in a big way name one guy on troy that can guard both mike williams and artavis scott the answer is nobody i like clemson to cover 35 and a half i can't believe i'm saying this but they're going to beat troy by at least 35 and a half points i like them to cover we'll see if i'm right next week but a huge spread. I like the Tigers. And with that, Cam, an hour and a half later, another episode of the Basketball Conference podcast is in the books. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And I'm glad that I could be part of, you know, podcast history when you went with the curveball and decided to pick Clemson at the last second to cover. But, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, it's been a good time. So hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, hopefully I can be back on another time. Yeah, definitely. We'll uh, we'll definitely bring you back on. But until next week, I'm Mike McDaniel, and that's Cam Underwood of SB Nation State of the U. Once again, you can follow Cam on Twitter at Underwood Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike McDaniel ACC. You can follow the usual co-host, Joey Weaver. He'll be back next week from his Ireland trip. You can follow him on Twitter at FTRS Joey. Please, please, please follow our podcast as we continue to grow at BC Podcast ACC. Thank you all for being such loyal listeners to date. Any questions you have, at us on Twitter, of course. Reach out to us on our Gmail account. 
at basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. That's basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. And until next week, as Joey likes to say, go ACC.